Thank you for watching NTD Business coming up tonight. Southwest Airlines facing a government probe over its massive flight delays and cancellations. What's causing the meltdown? We ask an aviation expert. $16 billion in taxpayer money will be spent on lawmakers' pet projects in the latest spending bill. We take a closer look at where the money is going. And Japan has ambitious plans to mine critical minerals in the deep sea. It plans to mine at depths no other country has attempted ever before. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Shares of Southwest Airlines plunged 6% today. That's after the Department of Transportation said it will investigate the airline's recent, quote, unacceptable rate of cancellations and delays. It left travelers stranded at airports across the country during an intense winter storm. The DOT yesterday tweeted it's going to see whether the cancellations were controllable and if Southwest is complying with its customer service plan. The airline blamed its flight problems on the weather, saying it was fully staffed for the holidays. But one aviation expert says the airline had an operational meltdown, saying other airlines had far fewer problems. We'll have more details on what possibly went wrong later in the show. Southwest told us it cut back its schedule for the next few days. To rebook or cancel, customers can visit southwest.com slash travel disruption. The DOT's investigation could lead to fines or other penalties. Thousands of travelers were impacted by airlines' cancellations and delays. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the frustration passengers are facing. Please continue to hold. Your current estimated wait is 131 minutes. The patience of Southwest Airlines customers is being put to the test. Call centers were swamped Monday. Some passengers trying to reach customer service were asked to wait up to three hours or longer. The phone systems that the company uses uh, is just not working. They're just not manned with enough manpower. The severe winter storm left thousands of people stuck waiting at airports to be rebooked. They said even if you go through this line, it might be up to New Year to get a flight. Others struggled to find their luggage in piles between carousels. Luggage is nowhere to be found and uh, just stuck here. According to FlightAware, a flight tracking service, close to 4,000 U.S. airline flights were canceled on Monday and over 7,000 delayed. The bulk of those cancellations hit Southwest Airlines. Close to 3,000 of the airline's flights were canceled Monday. That's nearly 70% of the carrier's total scheduled for the day. A spokesperson for FlightAware says Southwest's short and medium-range routes can lead to planes spending more time on the ground unloading and boarding passengers, and that combined with bad weather, operations can slow to a crawl. So those turnaround times really bog things down. You're not making any money, you're not efficient when you're on the ground, and that has helped to slow them down, unfortunately. Many Southwest customers complained about a lack of response from the airline. There's zero information being spread at all, and so that's kind of annoying. The personnel don't have an idea. Whenever you ask them what's going on, they said, we don't know. Southwest put out a statement saying they were working with safety at the forefront to address the wide-scale disruption, and that the challenges were caused by consecutive days of extreme winter weather. The president of a union that represents Southwest's flight attendants says the problem was a systems failure led by executive leadership and that it's time to make it right. This is not a staffing issue. This is a systems issue. Southwest Airlines was staffed. Its employees were ready to go to work. But when they chose to take flights into the middle of the storm or not preemptively cancel enough flights, their systems have not been able to keep up. 
Southwest said Monday it was doing its best to get its network back to normal. But for many customers, the frustrations are far from over. Well, we're going to sleep on the floor, I guess. The Christmas was just ruined. This was the worst Christmas ever. The airline says disruptions could continue up to the New Year travel period at the end of the week. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And to get a deeper idea of what really happened at Southwest Airlines, we spoke to an aviation expert earlier. Here's Jay Ratliff. Jay, great to have you on the show. So let's get right into it. What do you think went wrong with Southwest? Automation. I, I mean, they, they had the proper number of employees for the flights they were operating. They had all of their players in position as the storm approached. But when the irregular operations began, when the storms came through and they were forced to kind of uh, uh, change things and respond as uh, uh, the flight operations were taking place, they simply couldn't keep up. Uh, they're using automation from a flight following, flight scheduling, and so on that are from the 1990s. Uh, Southwest for a number of years has talked about the need for upgrading their automation. And the, the CEO for Southwest recently came out saying, our employees simply don't have the tools they need to do the best job possible. Uh, they do have a, a shortage of pilots, but they reduced the number of flights this fall and winter based on that number. So it wasn't a num an issue of having a too short number of pilots. It was a situation that they had to resort to start doing things manually when some of this hit the fan. Uh, when we see on Monday that Southwest Airlines canceled 71% of their flights compared to American Airlines canceling 1%, United canceling 5%, and I think Delta canceled 9% of their flights, which is a little bit high for Delta. It's pretty clear this is not a weather event. It's a Southwest Airlines event and a great airline normally but they've dropped the ball from coast to coast. They have hundreds of thousands of passengers that are stranded. And unfortunately, they can't call Southwest because their, their phone system melted a couple of days ago. They're trying to work through that right now. And many passengers have been told they can't reach their destination probably until Thursday or Friday at the very earliest. So it's a mess that continues to worsen as each day passes. Now, you mentioned their automation technologies from the 1990s. Yes. Is that, do, you think, do, do you feel that's the main contributing factor? Why haven't they upgraded? Money. I mean, airlines are cheap. They're only going to do what they need to do. And the Southwest employees are so good at what they do, they always find a way to make it work. And, you know, when the pandemic hit and they offered those early enticements for their senior employees at Southwest, they had almost 21% that got out of the way to allow other people to keep their job. Southwest is one of the airlines that's never laid a single person off. They're very proud of it because of the airline they are, but they lost a great deal of experience when those people walked out the door. Those individuals, had they been seated at the tables this last week, we would have seen less of an impact because unfortunately the people they have now, they just don't have the experience level that some of those individuals had before. And when you're trying to keep up with things manually, it's not nearly impossible, it's impossible. There's no way to keep up. And that's why Southwest Airlines has made the decision to cancel, what, 50% of their schedule or so through the week so that they can start to regain some control over this operation that right now they have absolutely no control over. Now, Southwest management has since promised as quickly as possible uh, they will upgrade their system 
We're talking about something that's going to take a great deal of time, a tremendous amount of money. And one thing that airlines don't like to do is spend money. That's why they've been okay with this antiquated system that they've had at Southwest. Now, Jay, just quickly, one last thing. I, I don't follow uh, Southwest uh, that much, but how has their track record been in terms of making up for mistakes? Southwest is a great airline. And if there's any airline that can recover from a customer service standpoint, it's going to be this one. Uh, passengers who are furious at Southwest right now who say they'll never fly Southwest again will. Southwest has great fares, great service to, to a lot of great cities. So the airline will get by. But I really hope there's some accountability here where the airline is forced to upgrade their system. And there's other issues. Look, the, the, the pilots are not happy because they're still trying to hammer out an agreement that's many years past due at this point in time. They need to take care of their, their employees, their customers, and their technology. They've got their hands full. And the challenges that are before Southwest Airlines are unlike any they've had in recent history. But I'm confident that that airline, as great as they are, can respond in a very positive fashion. All right. Thank you very much, Jay Ratliff. Thanks for your insight. Happy holidays. To you as well, sir. So if unfortunately you are one of those whose flight got canceled or delayed, what are your options? NTD's Andrew Thomas has some tips from two experts. Thousands more flights were canceled in the U.S. on Tuesday. Remaining calm and knowing your rights can go a long way if your flight is canceled. Kurt Ebenhock is a consumer travel advocate and former airline executive. And Jeff Klee is CEO of CheapAir.com. Here's some of their advice for dealing with a flight cancellation. Most airlines will rebook you for free on the next available flight. If you want to cancel the trip, you are entitled to a full refund, even if you bought non-refundable tickets. You're also entitled to a refund of any bag fees, seat upgrades, or other extras. Klee recommends researching alternate flights while you're waiting to talk to an agent. They're typically under a lot of pressure when a flight is canceled, so giving them some options helps. Ebenhock says non-stop flights and morning flights are generally the most reliable if you can book them. If you're worried about making it to the airport in time, consider staying at a hotel connected to the airport. He also suggests avoiding busy dates for air travel. Klee recommends comparing airlines' policies on the Department of Transportation's service dashboard. He also suggests reserving multiple flights and then canceling the ones you don't use. Just make sure the airline will refund your money or give you credit for a future flight. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And moving on, while several grocery store items have become more expensive this year, nothing comes close to the rise in egg prices. The Bureau of Labor Statistics says the price of eggs jumped nearly 50% in 2022 through November, not adjusted for seasonal swings. One reason? A deadly avian flu reduced poultry flocks, specifically turkeys and egg-laying hens. Add to that rising feed and energy costs for producers as well as high demand. Experts think the peak has passed, but until these conditions improve, expect to pay more for eggs. And gas prices are way down from the record highs they hit last summer, currently just over $3 a gallon. But don't get used to it. According to GasBuddy, an app that tracks gas prices, the price at the pump could rise to $4 a gallon by May. That's significantly cheaper than the spike that topped $5 a gallon earlier this year. The prediction is based on the high cost to produce summer-grade gasoline, plus more Americans hit the road in warmer months. 
However, GasBuddy admits there's a lot of uncertainty in gas prices and accurate predictions are challenging. The housing market is cooling off. National home prices fell for the fourth straight month in October, according to the latest Case-Shiller Index. Year-over-year home prices rose 9.2% in October, the first single-digit increase in two years. The Fed's aggressive interest rate hikes have impacted the housing market. Combined sales of new and existing homes have slumped by 35% since January. Fed officials project rates will climb further in 2023. And on Wall Street, stocks ended mixed today. The Dow rose 38 points or one-tenth of a percent. S&P fell 16 points or four-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq lost 145 points or one and four-tenths of a percent. The more than 4,000-page, $1.7 trillion omnibus government spending bill includes around $16 billion in pet projects known as earmarks. We'll take a closer look at some of those. Here's NTD's Daniel Monahan with the details. Earmarks are provisions in legislation that set aside funds for specific projects or programs. Those are typically for the benefit of a particular locality or group. This omnibus bill has over 7,000 earmarks. Senator Rand Paul criticized the largesse of the omnibus bill on C-SPAN. The American people don't want this. They're sick and tired of it. They're paying for it through the nose with inflation. Supporters see earmarks as a way for lawmakers to better serve the needs of their constituents, while detractors often criticize them as corrupt and wasteful pork. The process stinks. It's an abomination. It's a no-good, rotten way to run your government. Senator Ron Johnson believes lawmakers should take their fiscal responsibility more seriously. Uh, We literally are the board of directors of the largest financial entity in the world. While Senator Mike Lee criticized the system of putting a must-pass spending bill thousands of pages long and full of earmarks right next to a scheduled recess like Christmas. That is designed by its very nature to carry out this extortive threat. You either vote for this or you're voting to shut down the government. The earmarks in this spending bill include $45 billion in funding for Ukraine, hundreds of millions of dollars in funding for border protection in other countries like Egypt and Tunisia, over $3.5 million for a Michelle Obama trail in Georgia, around $3 million for a half dozen LGBT-related projects and programs, $4 million for an animal genetic engineering center in Missouri, $2 million for green job workforce development and equipment in Collegeville, Pennsylvania, and $1 million for career skills and job counseling at a women's center in Kew Gardens. After a decades-long ban, Democrats revived the use of earmarks ahead of fiscal year 2022. Senator Ron Johnson called earmarks a gateway drug to massive deficit spending. So again, we're, we're, we're on the side of fiscal sanity. We're, we're on the side of a process that is transparent so that members and the American public actually understand how the federal government is mortgaging their kids' futures. Meanwhile, President Biden hailed the omnibus bill's passage and vowed to sign it into law. He called it great news for our economy, capping off a year of historic bipartisan progress for the American people. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Russia is reportedly banning oil exports to various countries, including the entire European Union. That's after those nations imposed a price cap on Russian crude oil. Today, Russia announced it would ban the export of oil to countries that imposed a $60 per barrel cap on Russian oil. Those countries are all European Union members, all G7 members, and Australia. 
The U.S. is a member of G7 but had already banned all Russian oil and gas imports in March. The price cap took effect on December 5th. Exports from Russia to those countries will still be allowed in certain cases if Putin gives special permission. The ban is scheduled to start on February 1st and last through July 1st. Japan is mining for rare earth minerals from deep beneath the ocean. These rare earths are vital for making many technologies we have today, like smartphones, computers, and electric vehicles. Without rare earths, many of the technologies we have today would literally not exist. But here's the thing. China has the majority of these rare earth minerals, which is a huge problem for both the U.S. and Japan. Japan currently imports nearly all of its rare earth metals, and a whopping 60% of that is from China. Japan says it wants to curb its excessive dependence on specific countries, so it wants to start extracting in 2024, and will start developing the technologies in 2023. Now, this won't be an easy feat because deep-sea mineral extraction isn't common, especially not the way Japan wants to do it. Deep-sea is considered anywhere that's at least 650 feet underwater. That's a little more than the height of the Washington Monument. The area where Japan is trying to extract rare earth metals is nearly 20,000 feet underwater. This is about the length of the Las Vegas Strip. The water pressure at this depth is so high, it's like having the weight of an elephant on every square inch of your body. The deepest oil rigs can only go around 11,000 feet into the ocean, around half of the 20,000 feet Japan is aiming for. So Japan's technologies would have to be entirely new. And because deep sea mining is so new, the environmental impacts are relatively unknown. Bob Bilbrook, someone who's looked into rare earths, says scientists are doing studies around this. There's some that do very favorable studies about that, some that have come back that it's not very favorable at all for the wildlife and the ecology of the um, sea around those areas. Um, but all that will have to be vetted out. This is obviously an area of uh, massive exploration and a massive amount of study and you know, capital need to go into these areas to really vet out what is possible. The good news is there, those deposits are there. We know that. Japanese researchers believe there could be decades upon decades of rare earth minerals in the area they want to mine. Though Japan is not the only country with access to underwater rare earth minerals, the United States also has deposits off both the west and east coasts. And not just that, between Hawaii and Mexico lies the Carrion Clipperton Zone, one of the biggest untouched troves of underwater rare earth metals. Unlike in Japan, these are around 13,000 feet below the surface, this is mildly better, so being down there would be like a rhinoceros instead of an elephant pressed on every square inch of your body. And many companies want to mine there. The International Seabed Authority, a United Nations organization, has given 16 exploration licenses for contractors to mine in the area. And taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, Elon Musk says there are now nearly 100 Starlinks active in Iran. The satellite internet could help Iranians get around government censorship online. And we look at an underground farm in London that grows crops all year round. How does it compare to traditional farming? That and more coming up on NTD Business.
welcome back. An update from SpaceX Chief Executive Elon Musk. He says the aerospace company has nearly 100 active Starlinks in Iran. The technology provides satellite internet service to regions it operates in. Starlink also serves another crucial purpose. It helps internet users get around government censorship or limitations on what content they can access, like social media. He announced the news on Twitter Monday, just three months after saying the company would launch service in the Islamic country. The billionaire had said activating Starlink there would be part of a U.S. effort to advance internet freedom and the free flow of information to Iranians. That's amid mass protests happening in the region since September. An underground World War II air shelter beneath London's tube trains has been converted into a vertical farm. The subterranean crops could help alleviate food insecurity and benefit the environment. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Zero Carbon Farms grows herbs and greens in South London. The area is densely populated, with no room for conventional agriculture. But 100 feet below ground, there is a half mile of tunnels, and technology has made farming here a reality. Underground farming aims to reduce the impact of traditional agriculture on the environment. Global events have also inspired this method. Farming and traditional farming has a lot of challenges, not least of all because of climate change, inconsistent weather, supply chain issues. You know, we've seen all of that really highlighted over this last summer when it was really, really hot, you know, with the war in Ukraine, um, with the pandemic. The fresh produce could make it onto a diner's plate within two hours of harvesting. Vertical farming is a fast-growing industry. Billions of dollars are being pumped into projects across the globe. It's considered a major solution to food insecurity. We have the challenge that we're going to have another 2 billion people on the planet by 2050, and we ultimately need to develop more ways of growing more food to feed the world, and we don't have more farm space to do it, and we don't have another planet to, to do it on. The farm's subterranean location means insulation from the cold. Plus, it uses 70 to 90% less water and 95% less fertilizer than typical agriculture. Crops can also grow year-round at faster rates. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.